Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Insurgent, directed by Robert Schwenker and released in 2015. The plot of Insurgent goes something like this. The second installment in the Divergent series. After escaping the city, Triss must confront her inner demons while trying to find allies who will help her lead a revolution and save the rest of her kind. God, we didn't like the first one. We liked this one even less. No, I see, Divergent had some things we liked about it, though. And I think that the problems that I had plot-wise with Divergent and Insurgent were the opposite of each other. <laughs> Divergent had too many plots. Mm. It had, like, two separate movies that, like, it, mm. one finished and then the other one started kind of a thing. Yeah. And it had too much information in the first one. Insurgent could be over in 15 minutes. Literally, if Triss got caught at Amity yep. and they took her to the box and she tried to open the box and then she failed the first time and tried again and opened it, nothing would be different. Well, this whole movie would still, the yep. same thing would still Although, happen except for um, Naomi Watts killing Kate Winslet at the end. That's the only thing that would have changed. <laughs> I did like the trip through Candor and... Uh, what are they called? Factionless, though. I quite liked going to visit those. That was kind of interesting and would have been in a slightly better way of like throwing a whole heap of information at us than the first one with all of its information that comes at us in such clunky ways. I don't really get that just because like I, I felt like it was so episodic. It was like Triss and her rapidly decreasing group of friends go to this faction, hide out, Triss angsts. They get caught, they move on to the next place. They hide out, Triss angsts, they move on to the next place. <laughs> like, it was so dull. <laughs> Poor old um, Shailene Woodley was trying so hard though. Like She was like doing her best traumatised acting and the movie wasn't really making anything of that. It, it seemed like this girl has PTSD and yet everyone is awful to her. Actually, that's the same problem of pretty much every YA novel. Never mind. Kind of. I mean, her bo- the, the thing is her boyfriend is like super supportive in this one, mm. like exceedingly supportive. Um, and also I feel that's like what, that's how boyfriends should be. Every bo- Everyone should have a boyfriend who's like Channing Tatum in Jupiter Ascending. Yeah. And Peter as well. Um, yeah, but, yep. but Theo James, I feel like really stepped up his game in this one. Like in the first one, I just thought he was a block of wood with abs like yeah. he was dreadful. Well, also in this one he gets to look good in comparison to the potato that is Ansel Elgort. Like he's just I mean Miles Teller is excellent because he's Miles Teller and he's very talented. Ansel Elgort is just so boring and terrible and he's he's got to play like I think the character's supposed to have depth but not the way he plays it. I don't know about depth. Um, the thing is, <laughs> I mean, this movie is is Shailene Woodley and her three boyfriends run away from the government because it's like <laughs> there's Ansel Elgort who played her love interest in The Fault in Our Stars, Miles Teller who played her love interest in The Spectacular Now, and Theo James who obviously plays her love interest in this one. And uh, they all are in a group together at the beginning of the movie with, along with Theo's character's name is Tobias, and I'm getting it mixed up now, Four. Four, he's Four's called. dad is there with them. Yep. And then he's just... Like, he gets one or two lines in, and then he sacrifices himself so that they can get away, and that's it. And then that's never, all we he's see. Never spoken we of never again. see him again. So they they all escape together at the end of the last one. I couldn't remember who the group was, so I was surprised when I saw it. And I was like, wasn't Christina there? Because I feel like the... Yeah. One of the great things about the last movie was that it had all these great roles for women. And then this one, it continues with, like, all of the leadership are either POCs or women, yep. right? Like, there's Daniel Day Kim and then Octavia Spencer and Kate Winslet and yep. Naomi Watts is leader in, of the faction in, list. In that sense, it's actually, like, in terms of casting, quite a model of diversity. Yeah, but then the main characters are yeah. uh, Shailene <laughs> yeah. Woodley and her three white boyfriends. Mm-hmm. And her 
Ansel Elgort. I mean, the character is so infuriating as well because there's no point to him. <laughs> He's the worst. Oh my god! Like, there, I mean, there is a point to him, which is like, oh my god, you're the one person I didn't expect betrayal from. Like the, mm. you know, the everything is brown leggings in government um, yep. article. He's that guy. You get betrayal from everybody, but especially this one person who you mm. didn't think it was going to come from. So it's surprising. Yeah, that's his whole role basically. But like, you know, he's going to do that from the beginning because he's such a potato and he's he he it looks like he's trying to act in this but it just comes off as very very awkward yeah and weird like he hasn't learned to walk properly or something like he's still missing that leg that he lost in the fault in our stars yeah he's really really flat like he just kind of it's like he sleepwalks through it. Like he, he will. Well, everybody sort of, looks bored. Yeah, but he looks extra bored. And I mm. think Shailene Woodley like hits the right notes. I think. Well, she's try, like I was with, saying with her her PTSD. She's really trying. And her working. scenes with Ashley Judd are good. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, she, they, they, they Ashley Judd brings something out in Shailene Woodley. I think that were, those were really nice scenes. Mm. They worked very well together. Um, and then there was the scene where she had to tell the truth that yep, was okay. Yep. But most of the time, she just sort of looks. Big eyed. <laughs> it's not a. It's mm. not an emotion, but that's what I, she looked for most of it. There was. I thought there was a good scene, and then she cries while she's in the shower. Yeah, I thought there was a good scene where she had to argue with Kate Winslet's character while she's trying to do the Sims. There was that was a good scene too. There's like a really quick back and forth between them. That, yeah, that she does. A good I, I job have at. a real problem with the writing. It's so poorly, shoddily written. It's like a ten-year-old who went and saw Hunger Games and then like wrote down what they thought the dialogue in it was like. Yeah, who'd also it's, read a lot of Harry Potter. <laughs> no, but I, I know, but it is very like it's this kind of you should not feel bad that you got everybody killed. It's not your fault. Repeat ad infinitum. Like it's not. And and Daniel Day Kim and Octavia Spencer delivering these very very badly written lines mm. is kind of painful to watch. Well, these are, yes, and the, and, and Kate Winslet is the same, right? It, oh my it, god, we have to find that one extra special person. <laughs> I knew it would be you. Like she's not even trying and to an hide irony. Her. So, <laughs> look up irony. My God, look up the definition of irony because nothing you said was irony. Uh. She's like, oh, you want to know what's ironic? Not this thing I'm about to say. It's painful. And Naomi Watts is like also trying and she could be a really cool character, but she isn't. Well, I think it was too much of a shock because when she showed up, partly because, okay, this, which I'll get to in a minute, this movie's really hard to watch because you can't really see what's going on. Especially in Factionless. Factionless is very dark. Anyway, so she turns up and I just assumed that was his sister. Like, she's not old enough to – he'd be, what, 28, 29? He's 30. He's 30. She's, what, 42 at most? <laughs> I'm sorry. So I'm funny. not buying. He's supposed to be 20. And, but and she even, looks still – But Naomi looks, Watts looks amazing, too. She looks very, very young. And so <laughs> – looking at these two people and she goes when she says talks about running like, away she goes i was very young and i'm like no you're fucking st- kidding you're still very young <laughs> like what did you have him at 15 like Aye. it was uh it was insane and also i've never noticed before how much naomi watson kate winslet look alike until i watched this movie and went are they sisters oh, well, they must also, be sisters she's also right? a sound alike to nicole kidman i think that's both because they have the same natural accent and they're both trying to do another accent in it yeah. and they're not quite 
hitting the mark. And Kate Winslet also doesn't hit the accent mark, but she's got it starting from a different accent, so they sound a bit different. But yeah, they do look alike. They I really thought do. really when I when they showed up in the same scene, I was like, they're going to reveal that they're sisters. They have to, right? Because they look mm. so much alike to me. Um, there's also a moment. There's a moment when Tris goes to sacrifice herself mm. for her friends, and uh, she walks away, and there's a shot of somebody with dark hair in the window watching. And I oh, didn't. We couldn't tell if it was Zoe Kravitz or Na- it's Naomi Watts. We figure out later on, but you can't tell how. Like, sorry, but if you're a DOP, I should be able to tell the difference between Naomi Watts and Zoe Kravitz. I know. Firstly, there's a 20-year age gap. Secondly, they're different races. <laughs> but the other thing is, <laughs> what on. I didn't tell you is, uh, I mean, I don't know whether you had your 3D glasses on at that point, but yeah. I didn't. That's why I couldn't tell who it was, because uh, I'd taken them off because I couldn't see anything in the scene before it, yeah. because it was so dark. Okay, so, we- so I had to take them off to even see vaguely what right. was happening. Which brings me to the biggest problem with this. is that, So we accidentally watched it in 3D because I accidentally booked the wrong tickets when we watched it in 3D. And so that might have been a mistake and it might have made it a bit too dark. But I constantly was taking my glasses off to check and it wasn't any better with the glasses off. It was terribly it was, shot. It was slightly better with it the was, glasses off because I could make out there was enough light features a bit. But, like, <laughs> it, was, light. it just was really muddy looking. Mm. And I couldn't see people properly in scenes. There were scenes that weren't lit properly. There was a scene with Octavia Spencer. And there was this classic cinematographers who can't light black people scene. Like, I couldn't see her face properly. Mm. There was a, there was other scenes where I couldn't – well, yeah, Zoe Kravitz and Naomi Watts, like, really. But th- there was – yeah, there's lots of bits where I wasn't even sure if it was properly in focus. I kept cleaning my glasses to check that they were okay and they were clear and I couldn't see what was going on properly. The blocking was bad in a lot of scenes oh, too. Oh, that too, yeah. Um, like, there were people – there was one particular scene where I think Tris walks past two people – after the truth-telling bit, when Christina's mad at her, she walks past Theo James and then past Christina, and then yeah. the two of them are in shot together, but he's, like, half cut off, and she's, like, right over the other side of the sh- shot, and I'm like, you're making this shot. Get them to stand closer together. Mm. Like, y- y- all you have to do is reshoot this take with them standing closer together and it will look okay. What are you doing? Mm. What, what, what are you doing? <laughs> this is basic filmmaking stuff. I know this and I can't make movies. Yeah. Like, just, oh my God. And there was a lot of sweeping shots of the cool, like, destroyed Chicago, mm. but they were pointless. Like, in the first one, there was a really cool shot of destroyed Chicago where she ziplines through it. Yes, yes, yeah. At night. And that was a really good shot. And that was a really good use of, like, the, the setting. But this was just, they shot it for no reason over and over again. Yeah. I think the whole color scheme, because it's so dark and monochrome and muddy all the time and just he doesn't do anything interesting with it and like this is not a bad director this is a guy who made red which is kind of fun movie but it's just nothing they just do nothing with any of the visuals and it's they they don't just it doesn't just look boring it's bad to the point of not helping the story yeah. I feel like we could give out, like, you know, in high school, the awards that they give out. I feel like I should do that for mm. this movie. So, like, MVP is Miles Teller. Yeah, Because yeah. even though he hates this series and is clearly bored to be there, it works really well for the character and he is, like, a delightful little shit as Peter. Like, he brings all of his scenes to life. And he's the best of that the, that younger group of actors. Yeah. By far. Well, I mean, Shailene Woodley's a good actress. Yeah, but this, I, and this she, she role is, but, does her no favours. <laughs> yeah, but the, she spends the whole role, like, angsting. There's no dimensions to her. It's just all, oh, my God, this poor girl is so traumatised. Yeah. So then, and then most improved is Theo James. 
he's got <laughs> most improved for, you know, not being a block of wood in this. Yeah. Like, I felt like he genuinely cared about Triss. Mm. It didn't feel like it was reciprocated, but it did feel like he genuinely cared about her, which mm. is more than I got out of the first movie where I was like, I don't understand why this is interesting. Uh, yeah. 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 And then maybe class clown to Ansel Elgort because we were laughing at him. <laughs> Because he was so terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's just like awkward and bumbling and terrible. Uh, what other ones do we have? I don't have any awards for anyone involved in this. <laughs> Sorry, you could all do better. Even the uh, but just uh. I don't know that they could though because the whole it's it's one the of those situations material. where the whole thing is such a mess. And also, it doesn't make any sense. What we find out about the people in this story and the the factions and that rubbish it doesn't even make sense like it it does make sense in the sort of concept that like you would make an experiment with people in it mm. i mean that's the same thing with the maze runner and you know various other things yep. like all oh, these people were an experiment yep. but like it doesn't actually when you think about it make any sense and like they, they're all trying to kill the the divergence so how did they know there would be one to open the box anyway like it it just doesn't it doesn't make sense it's sort of yeah it's kind of ridiculous like what kind of person's logic is oh we need a divergent to open this box therefore we should kill as many of them as we can like how how is that logic well uh, yeah, yeah she didn't know that i guess at first and then she figures that well, she uh, figures Kate out Winslet. that she needs a divergent to open it so like but but then she gets She's, those magic wands that yeah. they poke at people's face with the the finger wands yeah, yeah. that they point in people's faces that are like, you are 40% divergent. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. how do you know that they're 40% divergent? What part of them mm-hmm. as a person goes exactly this much of them is divergent, but not the rest of them? That makes no <laughs> sense. Because I was bored, I spent some time trying to like do the maths on that and I was like so there's five factions and Triss is 100% divergent does that mean her character is equally divided between those five yes and then like in theory even though she clearly isn't yeah and then the other people are like 60% whatever faction they're most like and then 40% of the others divided by I don't know I spent time trying to do the maths on it because I was bored I was also bored but I was spending more of my time in between like lifting up the um, 3D glasses trying to see what was going on Actually, I spent a lot of my time thinking about feminism and Shailene Woodley's comments on feminism because as much as uh, the Divergent series and Insurgent in particular aren't good, Mm. they're extraordinarily feminist because there's no kind of – like all of the power is equally divided. The women are very much in this world seen as equal to men. They get to pretty much wear what they want and cut their hair the way they want and do what they like, mm. do exactly the well, same like thing the men earlier, can do. Like you said earlier, all of the power structures sit with either people of color or women. Except for um, Thor's dad is the head of, am- of abnegation, which right, is Right, which is now. interesting. A white man is the head of the, ha- of the house that is like the, um, the one that's about self-sacrificing and nurturing and caring. Yeah, but he's also abusive. Yeah. So it was all a lie. And also, how does he get into abnegation, if which is supposed to be selflessness, uh, yeah, if he's I, an abusive I, I, jerk? It shows all of these that things tests make no aren't sense. very good. No, but that's not that's not even what it shows. It just shows that the whole system is dumb and doesn't yeah. work. And also, it doesn't make sense that like Triss is so special and divergent because she's not just one thing. She's all these other things. But everybody else is a whole bunch of other things as well, even when they go into one group. So how does that make any sense? And also, the whole concept of it is that like everybody is a certain way. So why do they have any choice about which house they go house, which faction they go to into anyway? It doesn't 
make sense. It's yeah. illogical and, and, and well, I mean, nonsensical. Sort of the whole, po- the, the sort of through line of the story seemed to be that nobody fits any single one. Everyone's a little bit divergent slash non-factional. See, but- I thought the whole point was everybody else is a drone and I'm super special because I am the special. I am the specialist who was born special and will be special and is the one who's destined to save the world because I am so f- freaking special. I didn't get I that at all. I am the most special of all the specials. I got that if she's the special one, she's not that special and look at everybody else and all the ways they're different and divergent. So, yeah, I just saw that different way. I guess so. It just, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Logically, it doesn't make sense because the experiment was to do a certain thing and the experiment is clearly failing. And yeah. we set up the factions to maintain peace, but it's clearly not working. Mm. So clearly, that, like, who is running this experiment? Is anybody observing them? Is anybody actually paying attention to this social experiment? Because that's what you do when there's an experiment. No, I'm just going to leave a box here for you to discover in quite a few years' time. And the only person who's going to open it is going to have to go through a complicated series of tests. But you'll have to figure that out. Yeah. No, I think they created the tests in the first place to figure out where right. people go. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Mm. How come we're the only people awake? Because we're divergent. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> By the end of the movie, <laughs> the other weird yeah, thing see, about that, our session. See, that's why I misread – I didn't misread. I just read it differently to you. Is because when they come through, there's like actually quite a few of them who are divergent, it turns out, even though they've gone to a particular house or decided to go to the particular faction. Yeah, but – but that's the thing is that there are quite a few of them that are divergent. Some of them don't know and some of them do know and trying to hide it and all that sort of stuff. But like the people who aren't divergent, like Christina and Four and all these other people. Show divergent characteristics? Yes. Explain that to me. Seriously, explain that to me because it doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. Well, I mean, and seriously, Ansel Elgort fitting into any of these factions makes no sense well, the to fact me. I would think that he would in, um, be factionless since he's useless. Well, that's right. The fact that he got into And what is Ravenclaw? So, factionless is people who deliberately choose not to be in a faction. That is not true. Why not? Because factionless are people who get sorted but don't fit into any factions, apart from Naomi Watts, who escapes from abnegation. So, she was actually abnegation but chose to go and be factionless. And there are some people who are factionless, but the rest of them are just people who apparently don't show any characteristics whatsoever. See, yeah, I just thought that... Oh, that's right. No, we talk about that in the first movie, don't we? Right. Like, how does that fit into this worldview? It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. and, and what's the difference between factionless and divergent? And factionless Nothing. basically become their own faction. Exactly. No, it's, it's really, like, the more you try and shine a spotlight on the story, the more it falls apart. Mm. Like the pixels in the, in the, <laughs> in the Sims <laughs> with oh. bits of skin floating off him and her smiling at him romantically. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's so sexy when my boyfriend dissolves into pixels. Oh, God. It's so, and it's so dull for most of this movie as well. It is, it's so repetitive and long and like really pointless. Mm. I mean, what do we actually accomplish in this story? What do we accomplish that we couldn't have accomplished in 15 minutes? And therefore, and taking us on to the next part of the story, because I assume there's another one. Yeah, there is. And I've heard that they're splitting the last book into two oh, movies. Oh, of course they are. I will not be watching them. No. Because, I mean, if the one if one book is this dull and has this little to say, how can the next one possibly have yeah. anything more interesting to say? I only went to this one because I thought you wanted to see it. And you only went to this one because you thought I wanted to see it. So Kind yeah. of. I mean, I didn't... I didn't hate Divergent and like mm. usually if I start something I'm interested in finishing it. And if Insurgent was like Divergent, at least it wouldn't have been a terrible time. Yeah. And like you said before, there are actually some things to like about it. it is I kind of enjoy giving money to female led YA stuff that's do- and but then I 
like just finished saying to someone, well, you know, it's female-led YA and it's pretty feminist and all this stuff. So, you know, if I've given my money to them, I'm not feeling too bad. And then I was on Twitter and I saw the wonderful Lexi Alexander, director of The Punisher 2, who is like incredibly good value on Twitter. And she's like, stop giving money to YA movies about girls that are directed by men. And I was like, oh, damn. And then I was like, oh, no, that's a real problem here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I understand that. I, I actually, I mean, I love The Hunger Games, which you know. Yeah, um, I do too. The Hunger Games is a great series. And that is also directed by a man. Yeah. But like, they seem to really care about the series. Mm. Like genuinely care about what the about making good movies about these books. I think that's a major difference as well. I mean, The Hunger Games is also good, but they really kind of understand the source material and yeah. and take out well, these important things from the books in different ways on screen and yeah. adapt it really well. Well, that infamous Miles Teller quote, which we only found out about half an hour before we started recording this, from the time of when Divergent came out, when he talked about how this was the first movie he'd ever really done for money. It was very corporate. I think that's very telling mm. about these these movies and even almost about the books. It's almost like the book got a publishing deal because that was what was cool at the time and it had, didn't necessarily go through all the rigour. That It seems to have norm- even been written for the same reasons. Like Veronica like, Ross wrote this when she was very young. Yeah, and and, nothing, and, like, and it literally was published like something like yeah. a year after the and that's what Games. I And that's what I mean. Like, And then it kind of has cascaded into the movies as well. It's like, oh, well, we've got Hunger Games is doing great. We need another property for young girls. Why not try this one? And it's all kind of got this very corporate edge to it. Yeah. Like just not enough care. Yeah. And then, like like I said, I was thinking about feminism a lot, mm. especially in light of Shailene Woodley's yeah, I'm Not a Feminist stuff. But the thing is, the whole time I was just thinking, there's no way that you would be where you are and that you would be able to be in this movie and this would be movie would be able to get made and this movie would have even been written in the first place were it not for feminism. Yeah. Um I I have a slightly different take on that. I feel like that question, the way they ask it of young actresses is massively disingenuous. Oh, I, I agree with that and as well. I feel like that's it's kind of I, I sort of feel a bit sorry for Shailene Woodley for being put on the spot like that because, like, I, yeah, I, I, but then she she defended her comments a year later, so it's yeah, not like uh, she's gone. It's it's something that she said in the spur of the moment, and then learnt more about, and then found, and yeah, then talked about uh, it again. And I do, I mean, I'm not going to st- stop supporting Shailene Woodley because I disagree with her views on this particular subject. Mm. I do think she's a talented actress, and I think it's a, a like a socio cultural pro- problem. But this is the thing: is that I'm kind of using her in this example as an example of those I don't need feminism because people, which yeah. is really what she is, right? That's what she is. That's what what she's saying supports. I'm not a feminist because I love men. I hate the idea of this, you know, have, you have to tear men down and take power from them, which is not what feminism is. Um, and I've also been thinking about it because I read this thing about how Legally Blonde has no feminist message. And I was like, what? you don't understand what feminism is. Yeah, but that's the thing. Is so that it's, that's movie, why I feel like it's a, there's a bigger it's a bigger problem about her not understanding yeah, feminism. And I, and, I know, and, and I am and using her is, as an example. Like, 23 as well. She's only But young. she has put herself out there as an example by saying that and then by defending it yeah. later and stuff. And so then I'm- she does all these incredibly feminist movies like this. And even The Fault in Our Stars, for all its faults, is quite feminist. Yeah. And that's the thing is that the thing that frustrates me is all of the these women who are saying, you know, I don't need feminism, I don't like feminism. It, what gets to me is you wouldn't be able to do this without feminism. Hmm. You wouldn't be in this position. You wouldn't be making these great movies where you get to be the star and about the subjects that they're about. This wouldn't happen. And you wouldn't be able to, you know, vote. 
Mm. You wouldn't be able to do these things without feminism. And and especially with things like Divergent and, and The Fault in Our Stars, which has a very feminist male writer. You can't actually, if you say that I don't like feminism, feminism is what got you here. So, you know, respect your elders. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I also get that we live in a society that is profoundly anti-feminist and that the only messages she's probably been getting from when she's very small is that feminism is bad. You should be the cool girl. And I don't, and she's been working since she was quite a small person. Like she was acting when she was 10 or so. She's not, she doesn't have the same background that we, I've, I've tried, I'm trying to have a bit of compassion here for her because it's not necessarily just about her. She doesn't have the same background that we have where we've been brought up in with, you know, lots of feminist education and I was brought up by a very feminist mother and all this kind of stuff. So I'm trying to have a little compassion for her as a person in that. And I and I also just have a little compassion because it's the world that's awful, not her specifically. I understand all of that. And I am really kind of, I know I'm, it sounds like I'm attacking her and it, it, I think I am just really kind of using her as an example for Yeah, as a stand-in for all the other Because this is what I was thinking it. about when I was watching this movie, mm. right? I was thinking about this while I was watching this movie with all of its faults and all of its feminist messages and and also it's that got, you can be whatever you want to like you can yeah. be more than one thing and you, you can, can choose to be part of the system you can choose not to be you can yeah you can um and, and if the system is wrong you should tear it down and, and, other, and it's got female villains and female heroes and yeah and, and it's really giving, equal female roles the, uh, yeah and the reason i'm so i'm actually okay with giving my money to this movie even though yes sure it should have a female director is that it's got it's giving work to actresses who so often get left out of things get get left out by Hollywood like Ashley Judd I hadn't seen in anything in years before the first one of these came out like she was she just kind of and Kate Winslet was a little bit the same they kind of got to about 35 and they just stopped getting roles right Kate Winslet's been in heaps of stuff I haven't seen her in anything in like a few years before like before this I really hadn't Nothing mainstream, anyway. She might. She was doing. She got to so gotten the Revolutionary there. Road wasn't that long ago. There was yeah. the reader. There was the, yeah. Kate they're all, yeah, not like, exactly like hungry for roles. Well, but they're all like around five years ago now. They're that's a while ago. Yeah, I know. But, but the first one of these was like out, a year. I mean, she it's she's giving, been busy consistently, right? It's but it's giving work to actresses who become invisible in Hollywood terms. Yeah. Like actresses over 40, actresses over 35 even. They they suddenly become – like, well, even the whole thing about uh, Naomi Watts, who's 40 – what? I, I looked it up before. I she's do feel 16, like Naomi Watts would have been a good example of that. She's 16 years her. older than the kid who's playing her son. Really? Yeah, which is nothing. She'd be 46. There you go. She doesn't <laughs> look 46. Didn't she only just have a kid? Maybe I'm wrong about how old she, Theo James is. No, no. He's. I looked it up. Well, he's 84 and she's 68. She's about the same age as Nicole Kidman. They're all but in their mid-40s. But the fact that she's playing the mother of somebody who's who's 30, like that. that's that's what Hollywood does. It get, you get to 35 and suddenly you're the mother of adult children Sorry, or teenagers. Sorry, I just had a moment where I remembered the Jimmy Kimmel, um, Nicole Kidman interview where he missed out on like dating her. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? I haven't, no. Not Kimmel Fallon. I always uh, get them mixed up. Sorry, just you're talking yeah. about Nicole Kidman something. Yeah, so she, me of she that. and Naomi Watts are like of an age. But in real life, Naomi Watts has five year old kids, like small children. Mm. Like in the real world, you know. I think that's why I'm so surprised. In the real world, women in their late 30s are like raising toddlers, especially middle class women, like are often put middle class white women who are often portrayed in movies. And But like in Hollywood, if you're 36, then you must have teenage children. Like it's ridiculous. I do. The way they, the way they do want to say ages. in this particular set of movies they probably do have kids fairly young because oh, of the being in an a, a anti-utopian post-apocalyptic dystopian? world 
Yeah. They're in like this dystopian wasteland. That's So, yes, they probably do have children younger. But yeah, I mean, that, the I fact mean, that we have to search for an explanation when the people who've made this movie have clearly gone, well, of course Naomi Watts is old enough to be Theo James's mother. That's just normal. Aren't all mothers yeah. 36 and a half? Yeah, I, I understand. I was just, just thinking about it and some other, you know, issues. But yeah, it yeah. is really unfair and it is something that like and, as and soon this, as you play movie gets gives, to like, a certain age, you play mothers. Yeah, four women of a certain age, in inverted commas, big, powerful roles at the head of a faction or a non-faction, as Naomi, in Naomi Watts' case. Octavia Spencer, three of them. So, but then, and then, sorry, then Ashley Judd is like, um, Shelley the head of a mother. revolution is yeah. really what Ashley Judd is. Mm. Or she was starting her own little abnegation revolution. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, Ashley Judd's character would have been cool to see more of because she's really interesting. Mm. I would love to see like just her story. She's I really, great. I'm really looking forward to finding out that back, that whole backstory because I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, unless we're not I get going the feeling to. We're not going to get much more of that. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting and that, you know, they raised one daughter who was okay and a son that was so, such a, awful little brat Mm. this is the thing i I actually found it really frustrating that he was such an awful little brat Mm. like i feel like they could have done something to make him more sympathetic and like make us understand better why he was doing things because his explanations of why he was doing things were actually kind of on point Mm. but at the same time then they have this moment where he doesn't save his sister and things like that well do you think perhaps in the hands of a better actor they might have been like if that no because that's writing in the hands of a a miles teller he might have been able to like or someone with that level of talent he might have been able to do it better yeah but at at the same time like he might have been got brought out more from the character but at the same time in the writing it's not a good character so that's that's just a bad character from conception through to execution mm. whereas Triss is like a bad character in conception but slightly better executed four is a bit of a wet noodle i did think he was a <laughs> bit more interesting when his mother came into play yeah yeah that yeah. stuff was interesting i mean badly written but they did, did a pretty good job opposite each other mm. and yeah i did feel like he kind of stepped up like yeah. he was no, better he was he was really better in fact in i kind one. of think like almost everybody else in this movie had a better story than Trist did in this movie because mm. basically her whole thing in this movie is that episodic escape angst escape angst kind mm. of thing but like four has an actual arc yeah where he starts out just trying to escape and like saying no to his mother and then he comes around to needing her help and having to surrender a little bit of the control that he's obsessively kind of guarding his life with mm. you and, know and, and which is understandable because he was abused so he's quite an interesting character in this movie peter has a great arc yeah yeah um although i'm still not sure whether he was always on their side like or, or whether he was sort of like his conscience eventually got to him yeah it's very unclear in the movie that's i don't know i don't mind that's okay i know like, but I'm, I'm interested yeah. that's what i mean like he has a more interesting mm. story right like well, is Trisha's he always on their side is she's not hasn't gone anywhere from the first movie she's still in the she same has. place no, she has. Now she's really guilty over everybody dying. That's her whole thing. I'm guilty about everybody dying. Oh, I forgive myself, which is a nice concept. Mm. You know, the execution was flawed, but the concept is nice. But there's no actual kind of like she doesn't achieve her goal either. You know, so there's no real arc for her in this. There's not that she doesn't really get a story in this. Like we get told things about her character and we see her going off to sacrifice herself. But what she starts out to do is kill Janine. And she doesn't get to do that. But she doesn't want to do that by the end of the movie. That's fine. But they don't really show the bit where she doesn't want to do it. Right. I see what you mean. That clearly. And like she doesn't get to make her decisions and make her choices and have an arc. There's your problem is that she's not the one in control of that. And it's not. 
like in the Hunger Games where Katniss is very clearly trying to get control and mm. everybody's always taking it away from her and that's a commentary on how girls are used in the media which is always fascinating to me in the Hunger Games I mean there's so many good mm. themes well, in the yeah, Hunger whereas Games whereas in this one it doesn't actually seem like people are trying to use her in that way but she's not trying to take that power either yeah. so she's just letting it happen yeah and her explosive anger every time anybody goads her and things like that you know it's just it's boring and everybody else kind of gets a better story but she doesn't even Janine Janine gets a better story. <laughs> Seriously, because Janine starts out as like this kind of hardcore, I want to wipe out the divergence and all that sort of stuff. And then she learns a lot through the course of the movie and ends with hardcore, I want to wipe out all the divergence <laughs> as a self-protection method, yeah. measure. But it's still interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting story. She goes story from somewhere to somewhere and through. she's the boss of it as well. Yeah. And it is an, it's an interesting story that she goes through because I don't think – there's never a sense that she hates Triss. Mm. There's never a sense that she's doing any of this out of malice. No, it's more like that Triss is a problem and Divergence are a problem that she needs to solve. Because she's so smart. Mm. It's quite yeah. – She's quite an interesting character, yeah, well, that's, really. Well, there is a, that's and there's badly a, written, but still. Yeah, and there's a whole heap of interesting stuff to explore around people who think they're smart enough to tell everybody else what to do, which is her whole thing. There's so many interesting concepts that just aren't well dealt with. Mm. And again, it all just kind of falls apart when you try and pick it apart. Like when you try and actually examine this as a story, it just doesn't work. Mm. And it's it's kind of – I just think it's sad. I mean, because it, it is – it gives people a reason to disparage YA stories and things like that. Yeah. Which are dealing with a lot of these issues that teenage girls kind of deal with. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I think we can wrap it up now. Yeah. Um, I'm giving it two stars. It's not that great. I gave it one and a half. Fair enough. I got angry. Oh, and the, you know the moment when we were watching it in our screening, the lights came on like a before full the end. two yes. minutes before the end of the movie. It Oy. was so weird. It was like even the projectionist was sick of this movie oh. and just wanted it to end. <laughs> That's what it felt like to oh, me. It was just like the cinema was like yet? the cinema was like you can leave now. You don't have to watch the ending. You can just go. Yeah, it was. We know it's not good. Oh dear. Really? And it's a three D movie as well, and it's a dark movie. So the lights came up, and we couldn't see anything. And it was like the one big thing that happened at the end of um, Naomi Watts shooting Kate Winslet. Like that's kind of important. It is, but uh, at the same time, it isn't. I actually thought they might go over the fence to see what's outside. Like that would be the logical that's, conclusion to that's this the movie. Bit we're after. They're like, oh my god, there's stuff outside this fence that we thought was keeping us safe, and then the movie goes to the fence. Pulls back in and shows Naomi what's killing Kate Winslet. And neither of it's, them is even the main character. Well, it's, yeah, that's because it's saving the f- over the fence for next time, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I know, but it's not, that's not how you end this movie. Again, it's filmmaking 101, people. Uh, they didn't end the first one very well either. I don't remember the end of the first one. I think I they were running towards the wall then, too. Oh, yeah, they were in the train. Yeah, that's right. It seemed like they were going to go out and they didn't. They just ended up in Amity. Yeah, it was really weird. I don't know. I really why. liked that moment with Miles Teller in Amity when he was like, <laughs> peace and love, go in happiness <laughs> he was just eating it up yeah it's kind of delicious but yeah that moment uh, when he goes he distracts the guard he yeah. tells the guards they're there but then he stays behind right and and he must have known he that, must have known that he was going to comply because he clearly has some erudite in him i did wonder even then i think i said to you mm. that i think he did it on purpose well he did because he was he was giving them a chance to get away to give them a chance to get away yeah, yeah. and then later on i wonder how long his plan to save tris was in play mm. right like i i wonder if he couldn't do it the first time and he had to gain the trust of Kate Winslet in order to be able to I, I like it. I think that's that's the arc that makes sense to me. But, but at the same time, yeah. it could just be that when she saved him in her sim, mm. he went, oh, maybe I'm being a dick about the whole thing and decided to make the plan on the spot. 
maybe could could go either way. He's smart enough. I to- really did also think that at some point Ansel Elgort would actually do something. Okay, well in- he's always there. <laughs> Um, Anyway, sorry, wrap up. (laughs) Thank you for listening to our Ranty Pants Silver Screen Queen podcast for the week. We are all over social media if you would like to get in contact with us. You can tweet at us at screen underscore queens. We're on Tumblr as tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. We are on Facebook, so you can find us, Silver Screen Queens. And if you want to see show notes for this, which I'm assuming we will put the quote from Miles Teller in the show notes. Yes, I will find um, it for people. Uh, we might have some other stuff as well, maybe the brown leggings thing again, because it's so funny. <laughs> then you can do that at www.silverscreenqueens.com. And I have written a slightly less ranty pants review of the movie on silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com if you would like to read that. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye.